Father, would you please grant an anointing of your Spirit upon the Word? Or do you know that we've come to a difficult passage? Extremely difficult to apply this and live it out. We pray for ears to hear. We pray for understanding of what exactly you meant. And then we pray for power to actually do what you've commanded us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. There's all kinds of different forms of love, aren't there? There's the kind of love that a child has for its parent, its mom or its dad. There's that special bond that forms when that baby is first born into the world. And usually that bond and that love remains throughout the entire lifetime. And then there's the special love that a mom or a dad has for a child. Even if that child turns out to be a delinquent or a drug addict or a criminal, that mom and that dad will always love that child. It's just natural. It's built into them. And then there's the kind of love that a brother or a sister has for another brother or sister. And then the kind of love that a friend has for a special, trusted, long-term friend. There's even the kind of love that people have for pets. A dog or a cat or a horse. Sometimes their love for an animal is even stronger than their love for people. And then probably the deepest and strongest kind of love that we would experience in life is that between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. And we talk about falling in love. Have you ever wondered about that expression, where we came up with the expression of falling in love? No one know but me? I've often wondered about that. Where did that come from? I imagine someone walking along a road somewhere and there's an open manhole and he's just minding his own business. And before he knows it, wham, he's falling down the manhole. It was unexpected, and it was uncontrollable. There's nothing he could do about it. It's kind of like getting zapped by electricity on accident. You know, he fell in love. And the the really sad thing about our culture is that I think a lot of people, I talked to one this last week, he was talking about the fact that, um, well, he got married because he was in love, but that love only lasted a year. And then he fell out of love, and now he's fallen in love with somebody else. And so our culture looks at the reason for marriage is you fall into love, and if you happen to fall out and fall in love with somebody else, well, then you just change partners and you get remarried. You just divorce and remarried. So there's all these different kinds of love and kinds of understandings of love. Jesus, in the passage that Kelly just read, is talking about a whole different kind that we even haven't even mentioned today. And that's the kind of love that a disciple of Jesus has for his enemy. And I'm going to call this unearthly love because this is the kind of love that does not have its origination or its source on the earth. There's only one place that this love comes from and it's from heaven. It's a divine love. It's a supernatural love. It's extremely rare. You will not find even amongst Christians this kind of love very often. It's a kind of love that God has to birth in and through an individual because it's the love of an individual for his enemy, someone who's actively seeking to do him evil. Now, let's remember the context of this passage that we find ourselves in. Jesus has gone up on a mountain to pray, and he's prayed all night long. And in the morning, after hearing from his father, he called the twelve to him that he would call his apostles. And then he descended from that mountain with those twelve men to a level place. 
and there was a huge throng of people. Not only were the twelve apostles there, but there was a great multitude of disciples. These men who had been following Jesus and learning from Him as He would travel from place to place. And aside from even those, there was this huge multitude of people who were there because they wanted to get healed or they wanted to get delivered from demons. So, he descends to this level place, and the Bible says, and fixing his gaze on his disciples, he began to say. And he delivered four blessings, four pronouncements on people who were to be blessed, and then four pronouncements on those who were actually miserable. He says, woe unto you. So, first of all, blessed are you who are poor, blessed are you who hunger, blessed are you who weep now, and blessed are you when people hate you. Then he turns and he says, Woe to you who are rich, woe to you who are well fed, woe to you who laugh now, and woe to you when all men speak well of you. So he has just delivered these blessings and these woes. And really the key to understanding this passage is that Jesus is saying to them, if you have me as your treasure, it doesn't matter if you're poor or hungry or if you're sorrowful or if you're hated in this world, you have everything that really matters. But if you don't have me as your treasure, you can be rich, you can be well-fed, you can be comfortable and successful and popular, but in the end you have nothing. And that leads us then into this very next statement. In verse 27, he says, But I say to you who hear. He's just delivered the four woes. Woe to you who are rich, comfortable, successful, and popular. But I say unto you. And I believe what he's saying there is, in contrast to the people who are going to experience eternal misery and wretchedness, in hell, because I was not their treasure. Let me talk to you, disciples. You, those of you who hear. Remember how Jesus would say, those of you who have ears to hear, let them hear? These disciples were those who were spiritually in tune and could hear the word of the Lord. So he's taking his gaze away from the multitude that were seeking for everything in this life, and he's pointing his attention to his disciples, and he's going to address them very specifically. Now, there's four aspects to this unearthly love that we want to look at today. Jesus' call to unearthly love, and then the reason for unearthly love, and then the outcome of unearthly love. So first of all, in verses 27 to 31, let's actually read that passage. 27 to 31. This is Jesus' call to unearthly love. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies... Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Now in this section, Jesus is issuing rapid-fire commands. These are all imperatives. These are not wishes or suggestions. These are things that he's commanding his disciples to do. A certain kind of life, a certain kind of love that they are to live out. They are to love. They're to do good, bless, pray, offer the other cheek, not withhold their shirt, give, and treat others the same way they wanted others to treat them. 
Now, as we, as we go through this passage, what I want you to see is he makes a general statement first. Love your enemies. Then in verses 27 to 31, he unpacks what that means. What does it mean to love my enemy, Jesus? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means to do good to them, to bless them, to pray for them, to offer your other cheek to them, to not withhold your shirt from them, to give to them, to treat them the way that you want to be treated by them. That's what it means to do good to your enemy. Well, Lord, who is my enemy? He's the one that hates you. He's the one that curses you. He's the one that mistreats you. He's the one that hits you on the cheek. He's the one that takes away your coat. And he's the one who's continually asking things of you. And he's the one that takes away things that are yours. That's your enemy. You know, we can look at this passage, and I've done this, and I've read it, and think, well, this doesn't really apply to me. I don't have any enemies. Right? Can you read that thing? Well... There's no one out trying to kill me. I don't really have any real enemies. That's not the point here. The point is, is there anyone out to kill you? The point is, is there any people in your life that are doing things to you that you don't like? Now, every single one of us has situations in life where there are people that do things to us that we don't like. And they can be people that we love and people that love us, but they still do things to us that we don't like. And Jesus' teaching here is that we have to have a special kind of love for that kind of person. He summarizes the whole thing in verse 31. He says, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. So, your enemy could be a child, or a friend, or a spouse, or a neighbor, or a workmate, or a schoolmate. It could be anyone that you rub shoulders with that does things to you that, that you feel are wrong, that in any way it's a mistreatment of you. They functionally become your enemy at that particular moment when they're doing that thing that's wrong. Okay, so when that happens to you, you've got three options, don't you? What's the, very, what's the most natural option? What, how would we most naturally respond in this kind of a situation? Yeah, retaliation. There you go. So retaliation means tit for tat. You hit me on one cheek, I'm going to belt you on the other, right? You take away something that's mine, well, I'm going to look for an opportunity to steal something of yours. You curse me, I'm going to cuss you right out. You know, I'm going to get back at you what you've done to me. And so this is revenge. That's the first way. And this is how all of us want to respond naturally. But there's another way that we could possibly re respond, and that's non-retaliation. This is a little bit better than retaliation, but it's not what Jesus is calling us to. And non-retaliation means that when somebody curses you, you don't curse them back, you just walk away. You, you avoid them. If they hit you on one cheek, you control yourself, you don't hit them back, and you walk away and you get away from them. The person that's doing those things to you that you don't like, you just try to avoid them. If they live next to you, you move. If, if you work next to them, you try to find a different job. You just avoid that kind of person. Now this also does not require God's grace to live this way. Because there are many people throughout the world who have as an ideal to live as a pacifist.
or to live as a person who exercises non-retaliation. And so it doesn't require the supernatural grace of God to live this particular way. It is better than retaliation, but it's not what Jesus is calling us to. What's Jesus calling us to? He's calling us to unearthly love. He's calling us to do more than retaliate and more than to not retaliate. He's calling us to actively do good to the person who's doing evil to us. And it might be something as little as just a snide remark or someone who is a little sharp with you someday or someone who uh, is impatient with you. Or It doesn't have to be a huge thing for this to kick in, for this principle. So those are the three options. The highest and the deepest kind of love is the kind of love that Jesus is describing here. And it does require the grace of God for us to be able to live this kind of way. Now this is what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 12. Listen to the words of Paul. It dovetails beautifully with all that Jesus is teaching. Paul says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Now, that's retaliation, right? That's revenge. He says, don't do it. You are not to exercise revenge or retaliation. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry... What do you do? Walk away? Avoid him? No, you feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's the principle. Overcome evil, not by just avoiding the person, but by doing good to the person. Do you see how Jesus is continually bringing that principle out? If they curse you, they hit you, they hate you, they take away what's yours, you do something positive and good back to them. Either you pray for them or you bless them, which means you say something nice back to you when they've something, said something evil about you or to you. You do the exact opposite of what they're doing to you. Someone has said there's basically three patterns. There's the, de- de- the demonic way of life. And that means if I do you good and you respond with evil towards me, that's demonic. If I do you good and you respond with good, that's human. But if I do you evil and you respond with good, that's divine. That comes from God. And I think we have to be careful when we come to this passage not to treat it in a wooden, literal way. Because even Jesus himself, when he was slapped on the cheek, do you remember this in John chapter 18? He was before the uh, religious leaders. Someone slaps him on the cheek. Jesus didn't turn the other cheek, literally. He said, if I've spoken rightly, why did you slap me? If I haven't spoken wrongly, um, I forget what he said about that. But anyway, anyway, the point is he didn't turn the other cheek. (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't quote it. But... So he didn't, he didn't even follow his own advice in a wooden literal sense, but he followed the spirit of it, which was to do good to the people who are doing evil to him. Here's the principle. When people do things to you that you don't like, don't take revenge 
And don't simply avoid them. Actively do good to them. Actively do good. Now look at Jesus' own example. What did we do to Jesus? What is, <laughs> we killed him. That's right. The Bible calls us his enemies. Right? We were the enemies of God. Romans 5.10. When we were enemies, he reconciled us through the death of his son. So we were the enemies of God. How did Jesus respond to his enemies? Well, he came down from heaven not to destroy them. That would have been retaliation. Not just simply to try to stay away from them. That would have been non-retaliation. He came into our world. He identified with sinners. Then he allowed sinners to nail him to a cross in order to pay for their debt. You see, he didn't retaliate. He didn't non-retaliate. He came into the world to do good to those who hated him. And every time we defied him and sinned against him with brazen sin and neglected him or ignored him, we're sinning against him and against his holy law. Instead of retaliating and non-retaliating, he comes into the world to pay the debt that we owe, that we might be redeemed. See, Jesus lived out exactly what he's teaching us to live out. So there's his example. Now, what about you? When do you have opportunities to show love and to do good to people that are doing things to you that you don't like? Could it be when your neighbor's trash blows over onto your yard and you're kind of irritated by that? And you have a couple of options. You can go rap on his door and you can say, what's going on here? Look at all this trash from your yard. It's going over to mine. What, what are you going to do about it? Or could you maybe quietly pick it up and go to his house and pick up his trash too, <laughs> put it in the dumpster. Or maybe we have an opportunity to do this when you're driving down the road and you've accidentally done something to another driver that he didn't like and he flips the birdie on you, you know, and he gives you the finger. Uh, you can do it right back. You could honk your horn at him. I really don't know what you could do good to him in that moment, except maybe get his driver's license number and find out where he lives and bring him an apple pie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But, but you get the point. There, there, can be, um, there can be times when someone that you've asked to do something for you doesn't do it. They've let you down. So how do you respond in that situation? Maybe somebody is a little short with you or curt with you or interrupts you or does something that you don't like. There's a, there's a time there that we can exercise this kind of love. So... How we respond in situations where someone does something to us that we don't like will de will de it will show whether we are walking by the flesh or walking by the Spirit. Because if we respond naturally, either with retaliation or non-retaliation, all of that can be done by the flesh. But if we love the way Jesus has called us to love here, that's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no other way. So, we have the call to unearthly love here. This is a command of Jesus. This, this is how he wants his disciples to live. It's not just that he wants it, he commands it. These are imperatives. Now, let's look at the, at the reason for this unearthly love. Why would Jesus call us and command us to live this way? Well, let's look at the passage. We're going to look at verses 32 to 34. For if you love those who love you, 
What credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. There is a law that sociologists have identified. They call it reciprocity. That's the word. Reciprocity. And reciprocity means um, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And this law seems to function in every culture of the world. In fact, we are bound by this law. That's why when someone gives you a Christmas card, you feel like next year on Christmas, you've got to send them one. It's the law of reciprocity. Or if someone invites you over for dinner, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, I've got to have them over to our house for dinner. They did something nice for me. I've got to do something nice for them. And it's also why if someone does something bad to you, then you feel like you want to do something bad to them. It's this, this norm, this behavior of reciprocity. This is natural. I find it interesting. Have you ever watched those news clips where someone is a mass murderer and they interview that person's mom? And they say, well, what's that guy really like? And she goes, well, at heart, he's really a good boy. He's got a really good heart. I mean, he loves his family. He loves his kids. He's generous with people. He's generous with his friends. But see, all they're really saying is that even sinners can love sinners. If a sinner does something nice for a sinner, that sinner is able to return the favor. That's all Jesus was saying. Even sinners do the same. Sinners function according to the law of reciprocity. You don't have to be saved to do something nice for someone who does something nice for you. But Jesus is saying disciples are to be different from sinners. Even sinners do the same. You're not to be like them. Because you're not one of them. What is he saying? I have changed you. You've been transformed by my grace. I've given you a new heart and a new spirit. You're a new creature. You, you're a recipient of grace. You're different than the rest of the people in the world because you know me. He's, he's, he's getting at this idea that disciples are to be different from the rest of the world. We are not to live simply according to the law of reciprocity. We are to live on a higher plane altogether. In fact, in verse 35, let's take a look at that. He says, But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Do you see the point? We are sons of the Most High. Not only have we been given a new heart, we have been given a new identity. And our identity is a child of the living God. We are a son of the Most High God. And what is this Most High God like? He's kind to ungrateful and evil men. And if we are to live out the family resemblance, if we are to look like our Father, that means that we will be kind and do good and bless ungrateful and evil people, people that hurt us and mistreat us and curse us and slap us. So that's what he's saying. The reason for this command 
is because you are a disciple of Jesus and you have a new identity and a new heart and you've been transformed by grace. And not only that, God is now your father. And because God is kind and ungrateful to evil men, you are to live according to the pattern of your heavenly father. You see, a disciple has Jesus as his treasure. We saw that last week. And if you have Jesus as your treasure, you have this inner reservoir that you carry wherever you go and whatever's happening to you. You have a surplus, let's say. There is, a, there is a different source from which you can draw that other people can't draw. You have the capacity and the ability to live the way Jesus is commanded if you will tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. You, know, you can't live this unless if you are living cut off and independent from a relationship to God. But if you're walking in the Spirit, this is possible for you because Jesus is your treasure. So there's the reason because God has made you new. He's transformed you. You're His Son. Let's look at the outcome of this unearthly love. Verses 35 and 36. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now, did you notice the two outcomes in verse 35? Number one, and your reward will be great. Number two, and you will be sons of the Most High. That's the result. That's the result of living this kind of life. Now, let's unpack those a little bit. Number one, he says you're going to have great reward. This is parallel to what he told us back in chapter 6, verse 22. Look at that for a minute. In 6.22, he said, Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. Why? For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Do you know why we are supposed to leap for joy? It's because we have a great reward awaiting us in heaven. Notice a couple of things about this. It's future. We only get it when we get to heaven. Do you see that? Your reward will be great in heaven. It's future. Number two, it's great. Your reward is not going to be measly or minimal. It's going to be great when you get to heaven. So those are the two things about this reward that Jesus is focusing in on. You know, I, I meet people all the time, Christians, who say, you know, I really don't care about any rewards I get. All I want to do is just get to heaven. If I get to heaven, everything's cool. I don't even care if I have any rewards or not. And it's almost as though they're implying there's something wrong to be motivated by heavenly rewards. There's something carnal or selfish or fleshly. But folks, that can't be because God would never seek to motivate His people using carnal or sinful or selfish motivations. And yet throughout the Bible, constantly, God is seeking to motivate His people to live a certain kind of way by extending the promise of reward. Let me just show that to you. Matthew six nineteen and 20. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. What's he saying? Don't live for now. Don't store up all your money now. Use it for the kingdom. Use it for my purposes in this earth. Because when you do that, what's really taking place? You're storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. The more faithful we are with our finances and our giving right now, the more heavenly treasure awaits us. The more rewards are going to await us in heaven. And so he's seeking to motivate his people to faithful, faithfully use their money as a stewardship right now with a promise of reward, right? You see that? Remember Matthew chapter 6 where he's talking about giving and praying and fasting? In three different spots he says, I want you to pray in secret, I want you to fast in secret, and I want you to give in secret so that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, if you do that for the praise of men right now, he says you have all the rewards you're ever going to get in full right now. You have it all. But if you do it in secret where nobody else is watching, you have a heavenly reward. So Jesus is motivating us by the promise of this heavenly reward, this great reward, this future reward that we're waiting for. In Matthew 10.42, he said, Whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink. Truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Again, if, even if you give the smallest of things like a cup of cold water to a disciple, you have a reward for that. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says, He who plants and he who waters will each receive their own reward according to their own labor. So if you're planting the gospel or if you are watering what somebody else has planted and seeking to nurture believers and seeking to disciple them and cause them to come to maturity, there is a reward waiting for you. Hebrews 6.10 God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. What's he saying? God's not going to forget about the things you did on earth. There, there's all these saints, and you tirelessly serve them. When they were sick, you visited them. When they were lonely, you visited them. When they were hurting, you stood by them, you prayed for them, you sought to strengthen them. And God's not going to forget that. There is heavenly reward awaiting us when we minister to the saints. Now... Let's go back to chapter 6, verse 20 to 23. And I want you to see what Jesus is saying there. Turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. You have it right now. You have entered into the kingdom of God, but that's not all of it. You have an eternal kingdom awaiting you to enjoy for all eternity. He says, blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be future satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh future. 
Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. So what is Jesus doing? He's trying to get our eyes off of this world and onto the next. He's trying to motivate us not to live for what we can get out of this lifetime right now, but for the reward that's coming to us after we die and we're in His presence. How many Christians really live for eternity? How, how much of the percentage of, of your life do you think do you, are you thinking about and really trying to invest in, in eternal things versus what you can get right now? You know, that's a good thought question for us. Where is my heart really? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is my heart really on Christ and dwelling with Him for eternity and the rewards that I will have? Now, I really do not know what these rewards are all about, to be honest with you. The closest I can get is something that Jesus told in a parable in Luke 19 where He said the reward was having authority over ten cities to one of His servants who had been faithful with ten minas given to Him. He had authority in the world to come. Maybe these rewards have to do with God delegating certain authority to faithful believers in this lifetime. I really don't know. There's crowns of righteousness, crowns of life spoken of in Scripture. All I know is that we are going to be very, we're going to care when we get to heaven if we have wasted our lives now. You say, well, I really don't care if I have any rewards in heaven. Maybe you don't now. Just wait until eternity. We'd be very wise if we would switch our thinking now while there's still time and invest our lives not in, you know, how much wealth can I get? How much comfort can I get? How much success can I have? How, mu- how popular can I be? But how much of Jesus can I enjoy? And how much can I serve my King? And how much can I do with, with, with the gifts and the abilities and the money and the possessions that He's given to me? What can I do for Him? That's what's going to reap you eternal dividends in the world to come. So that's the first outcome. If we live this kind of love, Jesus says you're going to have great reward. And that's worth living for. That's worth motivating you. You ought to think, um, that's awesome. Praise God. There's great reward. I want to live this way. And then secondly, the second outcome is that it demonstrates that we are His sons. It demonstrates that. Look back at verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Now there's one way of understanding this that I think is mistaken. And that is, okay, if you can just live this kind of way, then God is going to make you His son. But folks, that's totally backwards because we'll never be able to live that kind of way until we are His son. I think what Jesus is getting at is this. Live this kind of way and you will show yourself to be sons of the Most High. It will give you assurance that you have been born of the Spirit because you never would be able to love your enemies unless the Spirit was in you. So one of the blessings attached to living this kind of way is assurance because you see, the Spirit's working in me. That's how I was able to do good to that person who did evil to me. They, they snubbed me or they demeaned me 
or you know they, they, they did something that I felt was wrong towards me, but I was able to respond in grace and kindness to them, that must be the Holy Spirit. You see, God wants us to be accurate representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He wants us to accurately represent Christ. And I was super convicted this last week, and I just have to confess this to all of you. As your pastor, you need to know that I blow it sometimes. And I had a new employee this last week, and I don't feel like I accurately represented the Lord to him. Because I'm a bit of a perfectionist, and I'm a very hard worker, and I expect everybody else to do the work as hard as I do, and work as fast as I do, and get it quickly. And I, I wasn't gracious to this guy. And I ended up feeling at the end of the day, man, I, I feel bad about the way I acted. I, sh- I, I need to stop that. I need to be more gracious and more kind. I'm not accurately reflecting Christ to him. Christ is gracious, and he's kind, and he's patient with us, and I'm not being that, that kind of way. And he ended up quitting on Friday, and... I felt it, part of that had to do with my bad attitude towards him. So I'm praying that God will help me the next time around not, not to react the same way. If I have an employee who's, who's not meeting up, I pray that God is going to give me the, what I need to respond in grace and patience and kindness with that person. I don't want to give a skewed picture of Christ to other people. I don't want them to have a distorted picture of my God. I want them to see Jesus in me. Don't, don't you want the same thing? It, and when, I, when this happened to me, my mind flashed back to James chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. With our tongues we bless our Lord and Father, and with them we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. <laughs> now, I didn't ever curse him, but I, I did also was not patient with my words either. And uh, so anyway, boy, yesterday I spent the whole day or five or six hours working on this sermon and God just was pounding me. <laughs> As I was meditating on this text and trying to prepare a sermon, he was saying, you're the man. You need to repent. And I had to call up this fellow and just say, hey, I'm sorry. My attitude was wrong. I didn't... Because I told him I was a pastor. I told him that he needed to get to know God. I told him he needed to be reconciled to God. I, I said, you need to get yourself a Bible and start reading. It's God's love letter to you. I say all these things, and then my actions don't line up with the kind of things that I've told him. It's horrible, isn't it? It's horrible. But how about yourself? Do you feel like in your relationship with other people that you're accurately reflecting Jesus Christ to them in terms of his kindness and his patience and his graciousness? If not, then all of us need to take stock of that and repent today. We need to repent. Let's see if we can draw out some application. Number one, who's your enemy? Oh, Brian, I don't have any enemies. Wait a minute, you, you have enemies. You have functional enemies. Anybody that does anything to you you don't like, that's your enemy in that moment. It can be the person you love most on the planet, but they still become functionally an enemy because they're hurting you. They're, in some way, you feel like they're mistreating you or abusing you. So, it could be an obnoxious neighbor that's jacking their music up loud and you're trying to sleep. We, we had a neighbor when we lived at this other house who had this dog that every morning at 3 o'clock in the morning he would start barking and he wouldn't stop. 
Man, that drove me crazy because I was waking up at 3 o'clock and then once I get awake, I can't go back to sleep. So after two or three nights of this, I put my pajamas on, walked over, rapped on his door and said, could you please cause your dog to stop barking? I can't sleep. But maybe that wasn't the way of Jesus. Maybe I should have tried to do something good for this neighbor. Anyway, it could be an obnoxious neighbor. Um, it could be a family member who's constantly making messes and doesn't clean them up and you have to come behind them and clean them up for them. It could be an employee, like I've just talked to you about, who is not catching on and is frustrating you. Or an employer who acts like a jerk to his employees. (laughs) So that's the first thing. Who's your enemy? Secondly, how do you respond to your enemy? How do you normally respond when someone does something to you that you don't like? Identify that. And then I want to dare you to love the way Jesus commanded you to love. And I say dare because it's a real challenge. It's going to require more than simply you deciding to do this. It's going to require that you get on your knees and pray. It's going to require that you pray and ask God to fill you with His Holy Spirit. It's going to require a close relationship to Christ, an abiding relationship with Jesus to pull this thing off. So, this week, when something happens to you that bugs you or hurts you or messes with you, I want you to remember this sermon. I want you to remember the words of Jesus. And I want you to go to God and ask God to fill you. Instead of retaliating, instead of simply avoiding, I challenge you, and I challenge myself too, to seek to do good, actively do good to that person who is our functional enemy at that moment. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us? Would you bring to our remembrance your words this week? Because every one of us this week are going to have an opportunity to put this into practice. And we pray for your supernatural grace. And Lord, when it happens, we're going to be careful to give you the praise because we know by nature that's not us. We are fleshly by nature. We are are moody. We are... We want to take vengeance, but Lord, we pray that we might be like our Savior, who when He was reviled, did not revile in return. When He suffered, He uttered no threats, but He just kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously. Make us like Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen.